Good morning, brothers and sisters and NTCAC. As this is the last Sunday before Christmas, I wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to come. I'm very thankful to have the opportunity to share God's words with you this morning. Thank you, Weapon Chu, for your invitation. You know that the last time I spoke to you, it was back in April, and at the time, we were in an early lockdown. Now, eight months later, we were once again in a lockdown. At the back of my mind, I'm always worried that, brothers and sisters, you have become complacent in your worship every Sunday at home. And you might have just woken up and are still in your PJs. I hope this is not the case. And your love for God has not diminished and your fear of Him has not decreased because of the pandemic. So with that said, let us pray together. Father, thank you for bringing all of us here online and worshiping you virtually. May your spirit lead us. May your spirit speak to us. Protect us from this COVID-19. And may you continue to lead and speak in your own unique way into all of our hearts. As we celebrate Christmas, that we are once again reminded how much you love us and that you are willing to come down to die and to sacrifice for all of us so that we have salvations. May once again, may your spirit speak and be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. See, when this pandemic, pandemic started at the beginning of the year, I thought this would be like SARS back in 2003, 2004, and then it would go away rather quickly. But COVID-19 proves to be a very contagious sense. It spreads like wildfire, and it seems like the only hope we have is with a vaccine. While we were waiting for the vaccine, and we are still now waiting for it to become available, generally, publicly available, uh, it reminds me so much that we are the advanced seasons that we are in. That more than 2,000 years ago, the Israelites were waiting for the Messiah to arrive to save them from the Romans' occupation. Today, we are also waiting for the vaccine to alleviate our sufferings from isolations and the separations that we have to endure from our friends, our colleagues, and our family. And the fear of death sometimes overwhelms us as well. So many of us need to be reminded that Jesus saved us from our isolations, away from God, for, for away from this eternal death that we destined for. And only through Him, which give us the freedom to choose not to sin and to do good. You know, the Christian story does not and never gets old because it is the truth and the truth set us free. Because the salvation we have in Jesus, He set us apart from the rest of the world. When the world is saying happy holidays, we say Merry Christmas because we celebrate the birth of Jesus and because Jesus, He set us apart. You know, throughout the years and almost every Christmas, uh, many of us, us uh, uh, accustomed to sermons that from preachers and pastors that will always remind us that what is the real meaning of Christmas. 
The true meaning is, of course, it's about the birth of Jesus. This Sunday, though, I like to ask a slightly different question. Why? Why was Jesus here? Why was he here? Why was it necessary for the second persons of God, the Son of God, to be here? Why is it that is so important for the triune God sent his only Son, having him to be away from the Father and risking it all to come here on earth? What is the implications to you and me as a Christians of the 21st century? You know, the theological term that describes the Son of God, Jesus, took on the likeness of a man and is called incarnation. However, understand the incarnations of Jesus not only provides a biblical foundational truth, but it has a direct implications on our faith as well as our lives. Our first passage this morning is from the Gospel of John chapter 1. Here the Apostle John affirms to his readers and that many of us Christians or have already known that Jesus is God. John begins the entire book with his phrase, with this phrase of in the beginning. Now you might ask why does it sound so familiar? Well, because the same phrase is used as an opening of the entire Bible in Genesis and it addresses the beginning of creation. Here in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, it said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John is referencing Genesis from verse 1 to 3 in the Gospel of John. It parallels the creation story. John tells us that Jesus is God. He is the creator of all things and all things were made and created by him. Verse 4 tells us that life itself comes from Jesus. And he is the life and the light of all human beings. After the fall of Adam and Eve, sins enters and that means life or the light of humans are now corrupted and condemned. Since Jesus is the creator of life, it only makes sense that he is the one who can fix it and restore life to its original intended meaning. And our first five, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And whenever I read this verse five, I'm always challenged by my scientific mind in physics. It seems obvious, isn't it? And common sense that when there is light, then there is no darkness. However, when you think deeper, the truth needs to be told. It is physics that confirms the biblical truth. It is only when light shines onto an object and balance it back onto our eyes will darkness goes away and we see the object. Indeed, it is the light that overcomes the darkness or else we cannot see. From verse 9 to 12, the, 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 the scriptures continue. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him 
who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Verse 9 to 12 tells us that this true light, the source of all light, the true light shined onto us, yet we still cannot see because of our own darkness and we refuse to let Him shine onto us. However, whoever receives this light from God, they became His children. Verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14 speaks very clearly about the incarnations of the Word. As it says, the Word became flesh. There is no room for any other interpretation here of what John's writes here. And he dwelled among us. John is writing. The Greek word for dwelt means to take up residence or to be in a tent with. This drilling of God takes us back to Exodus. When God drills with the Israelites daily in the tents of meeting, which is the tabernacle where the glory of God dwelled daily. The tabernacle was a place of worship, a meeting place for God revelations and a site for sacrifices for the reconciliations and the restoration of his people were made. And as we read to the remaining of verse 14, it says, We have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the glory of God, shown through the Son, by His sacrifice on the cross, His resurrections, His victory over death, and is now sitting on the right hand of the Father. John is telling us that Jesus is the Son of God, the Word that John speaks about. Jesus is the creator of all living things, the light of all human beings, the savior who can restore our light to its original intended meaning. By the incarnations of Jesus, he is the glory of God, the tabernacle where people come to worship, to seek the presence of God, to seek restorations and reconciliations with God. So having verse 14 in mind, let me suggest that there are seven significant reasons why Jesus was here, why Jesus incarnated as human. My first point, he is, Jesus' incarnations has to reveal God to us. Now further down in John chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. You see, Jesus, when He is here on earth, He shows us who God is and reveal who He is. Now, many people wanted to believe in God, but can only rely on the imaginations of a powerful yet mean-spirited God. That is why you see so many demonic-looking gods in many temples, you see in Asia and elsewhere around the world. Many people have a hard time believing in God, let alone believing that He is love. Therefore, Jesus' incarnation says, reveal to us who God is and vividly demonstrate to us, just like what Exodus 
chapter 34 verses verse 6 tells us the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness second reason why Jesus incarnations because he wants to be a sympathetic high priest in Hebrews chapter 4 chapter verses 14 to 16 and 15 it says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin we needed a high priest who can feel our weaknesses because he was tested as we are how can a high priest being our mediator if he has not been through what we are going through, how can he sympathize if he is not a human being? You see, God is never tested because he is divine. That is why the Son of God needs to be incarnated to be like a like to be in a likeness of man in order to be a sympathetic mediator for us all. Third point, to provide an effective sacrifice for sin. Here in Hebrews again in chapter 9 verses 11 to 12 it says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have to come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is, not of this creation, he enters once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goat and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Our high priest walked into the Holy of Holies to make sacrificial offering for our sins. He did not offer any goats or calves, but he offered himself and his, with his own blood. There is no redemption unless there is death. That is why the incarnation of Jesus must happen and he must die in order to provide salvations and forgiveness of sins for us all, once and for all. Fourth point, to destroy the works of the devil. In verse John chapter 3 verse 8 it says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reasons the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus' incarnations must happen in order to break the bondage of sins on him. Not only did Jesus became the sacrificial lamb and die on the cross, he defeated Satan. He defeated death, claiming victory and resurrected after three days. Fifth, to fulfill the divinic covenant. You know, our second passage today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 35. Here in the middle of that, in from 31 to 33, the, the angel Gabriel announced the, the good news to Mary about that she is about to conceive. Here's what the verses said. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will great he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Verse thirty three. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In our second passage, it tells us that by Jesus' incarnations, he fulfills the prophetic announcements of the Messiah. That the Messiah would be on David's throne. Only the kingdom of God would have no ends though, and would reign forever. Hence the reasons why Jesus' incarnations, he is both man and divine during his time here on earth at the same time. Sixth point, to be a qualified judge. In John chapter 5, Verses 22 and 27. Here verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Verse 27. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. As said, Jesus was tempted, but not sinned. Not only is he a sympathetic high priest, but because he lived as a human, he now qualifies to be our judge. We cannot say that he does not understand what we are going through and the hardship we face. Jesus' incarnation qualifies him to truly tell us that he understands. Last point, first point seven, to provide an example for our lives. First Peter chapter two, verse 21, it says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Peter reminds us that Jesus has set an example for us all, a life demonstration as a living human being with the power of God. We too can now follow Jesus' footsteps. Not to be overpowered by evil, but now we have the freedom to choose to do good. We can choose to sacrifice our own comfort, to suffer like Christ did, for the sake of bringing the good news to others. Lastly, how can I finish today's message without retelling the incarnation story of Jesus? Our second passage, once again, this morning is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 35. Last week, you all read a similar passage from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Reverend Chu's message last week talks about the name of Jesus, that he is Christ, our Savior. He is the high priest who made the ultimate eternal sacrifice for us, and Jesus is also called Emmanuel which it means God with us. While Matthew gives us the perspective from Joseph, Luke details the perspective of what had happened to Mary. As I conclude, I'd like to read you the second passage once again for this morning from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 35. But when I, as I read this, I want you to reflect on the following. The salvation story really does not begin with the birth of, uh, birth of Jesus. It begins at the very beginning of creations in Genesis. The incarnation story does not begin in the manger of Bethlehem, but it really begins 
when the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. The implications of Jesus' incarnation does not end after Jesus' ascension to heaven, but rather it is the beginning of our own incarnation stories, representing Christ to those who have not heard. Why was he here? Why the incarnations? Why was the purpose, or what was the purpose and what it means to you and me? What are the implications? How are you to celebrate this Christmas this year? And how it should be more than just a date on the calendar? Here's Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 35. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greetings this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angels answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. May the Lord bless His, bless his own word, and have a Merry Christmas. Thank you, Pastor David.